Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And welcome to Security and Secure, hosted by me, Johnny Seifert. This is a celebrity mental health podcast. I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you love what we're doing here, then please subscribe to Security and Secure, where you're listening at the end of the episode, leave a five-star rating and a review. And let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is part of the Security and Secure Book Club, where I look at the mental health themes behind some of your favourite books, and this book is absolutely brilliant. It's Janice Hallett's The Christmas Appeal, and I am so glad she joins me because I spent three hours reading it non-stop. I couldn't put it down, and I had to get on the podcast straight away to talk all about it. So joining me now, it's Janice. Hello, Janice. Hi, Johnny. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I absolutely loved your book, and one of the reasons why I loved your book is it was just different. You know, I've read about 50 books this year. And to have a book that's not the same structure and to have it through text messages, emails, WhatsApps, newsletters, letters, posters, it was just different. And it was just so refreshing to have a book like that. Because I thought, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I'm going to like it. And does it look cheap? And then I was like, no, actually, I quite prefer it like this, I think. It's all told um, in the form of emails from characters to each other. Sometimes they're to lots of people. And sometimes they're just two other individuals. So the story gradually unfolds as these characters talk to each other. And it's exactly the same format as my original novel, The Appeal, which came out in 2021. This For this novel, we revisit that same um, community four years on from events of that first novel. And um, the, the amateur drama group, which um, the first novel centred on, is now putting on a Christmas pantomime. That's where that structure came from. It, it was going back to an old friend, actually. I started off writing emails to structure my novels, and uh, this is going back to it. I've never seen a book like this before, though. Are there books that do have that shock that you've copied, or have you basically started something completely different? I think it's something different. I didn't realise when I started it that it would be, and I suppose it has something in common with the epistolary novels of days gone by. But no, I mean, there's other writers who do similar things. Cara Hunter, she uses a lot of mixed media as well. I think I might be the, the only one who's centred in on emails as the main form of narrative. It's quite interesting. When you think of an email, there is so many different connotations to every word, every message and the structure of it that tells its own little stories. Because if you think about a normal book, you've got the narrator 
And then you've got he said, she said, and it might flip between the characters' opinions. But in this, the email is almost its own character because there's a certain tone that has to be used for it. There is. And we all have an email personality and we change it depending on who we're talking to. So that some of these um, collective emails that some of our group sends, that Sarah Jane, she often has to email the entire group to talk to them about forthcoming rehearsals and what they have to be doing. She has a particular tone. And when she's talking to other characters, she'll change that tone depending on whether she likes them or not, whether she respects them or not. And it's both funny and illuminating, I think, to read to read that story unfold. It's it's a story that unfolds by a character, I think. But as a reader, there's a lot of interaction because you're having to go, well, who's the email to and who's it from? And what does that say? It's like it really is peeping behind the curtain of going, I'm getting something that I really shouldn't be looking at, but I'm going to secretly look at these messages. And even though this is a book and even though it's everything, I still felt a bit guilty going, well, I don't know if I was supposed to know that. <laughs> you do get the feeling that you're listening in or eavesdropping yeah. on these conversations. And of course, all the time you're reading between the lines, you're trying to work out what people really mean as they talk to others who they may well be trying to keep a secret from. And when it comes to writing it from your point of view, how hard is it to transition between the emails, the WhatsApp, the text with that different tone, number one? But then secondly, you've also then got to think of the tone of the character. And there's, it's one thing writing for a character, but it's the second thing having to really delve that deep into it. I, As I write, uh, certainly this structure, the appeal and the Christmas appeal, I write and I jump into each individual character as I write them. I'm always writing from a particular character's perspective and I become that character as I write. In these books you don't get very much character description because I never see my characters. I'm always I always am them when I'm writing from but their point of view. But you think you even need to because when you have got a Sarah Jane for example who I imagine is blonde wears skinny jeans for example but then you've got a Celia who if it was to be a film, I'd say Celia is played by like an Anne Reed style person. Maybe Sarah Lancashire plays the Sarah Jane. And then, you know, if you think about the other ensemble cast, they've got characters that I kind of think, well, that person probably is that person in the TV programme, etc. You don't need that because that is why we love reading is because we create those characters in our head. Reading, even though a lot of people say my books are immersive, I think reading is generally you can escape by reading you don't have to go anywhere to escape you can just read a book and lose yourself in the book and sometimes you're losing yourself in uh, in the writer's prose if they're a particular third person narrative writer or a book like mine that's from always first person uh, you can lose yourself in that and imagine you are a character so yeah I, I it's, it's every writer's aim I think to have the reader lose themselves in their book Although it's very dangerous now, especially in the 21st century, because so many books get turned into films and TV programmes. Obviously, Harlan Coben's got his Netflix deal that he's got. Robert Thorogood, who does the Murder Mystery Club, which is kind of like yours, um, he's just turned it into a drama for UK drama next year, the Marlin Murder Club with Samantha Bond. And that's going to be one where I'm like, well, hold on. I know what these characters look like in my head. Does it match up? And I've seen a couple of early photos, and I weirdly, it does match up, but... There is that danger now that obviously as a writer, you want to get bigger because, you know, it's a business. If you can turn it into a film or TV program, even better. But then you're right. Then that escapism isn't so much there because you're kind of being spoon fed who that, you know, that character is. Whereas 
here we're making it up in our mind. Well, we've all got books that we loved. It was turned into a film or TV series and we didn't like it. We didn't like what was taken out. We didn't like that character. And I think that's, that shows how passionate we get about the book, both as readers and, and us as writers. But I think it's always the danger if you nail down a character visually for an audience that they're not going to respond as well as they do to the the images you conjure up with your words. And I think, yeah, that's a bit of a danger, but of course you always want to reach more people. You always mm. want to reach, to tell your stories to as many people as possible. And getting your story on screen is the best way to do that because more people will watch TV, more people will watch a film than will read a book. That's a, a balance, I think, a balance that we all tread. But then when you think of like J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter franchise, those early days, People were going out to buy the books and, you know, those conversations about the book were happening pre-film. Bring it up to speed now. I feel like with your book and then Richard Osman's books, you know, The Thursday Murder Club, those ones as well, people are like, well, hold on a minute, I need to buy that book. As soon as you turn it into film, when it's a franchise and when you've got book after book and you're coming back year after year and like yours with the appeal and the Christmas appeal, you're going, I know their characters, these are my friends and I've got my opinion and it's better than the screenwriters and everyone else involved in it. I would still think I would want my stories on the screen, though, because you can go to places visually that you can't go in a book and vice versa, but you can explore a character's visual emotions when you see it on screen. And that's something you can't do in a book. And I used to be a screenwriter, so I've learned, I think, having started writing for screen, now writing books, how you can develop your story in different ways for each. And they're, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but you can pull the wool over a, a reader's eyes in one way in a book, but you have to do it totally differently on screen. But I'm still learning that, I think. When I loved a book and I'm watching the film, I'm always open to what they've done with it, but I never want to lose what I loved about the book. So I'll always sort of keep the book close to my heart and think, wow, now this is going to be interesting. It's going to be an exercise in watching this book on the screen. And that's that's all really if I've if I've loved it. But then I love watching a film that's a book that I haven't read. I'll watch the film and then read the book to see what they left out and what they didn't put on screen or what they added, what they made different. Because that too is, is very, very interesting. How do you find that process? Because when I spoke to Penny Smith once about books and she said, look, you take a book, you read it like a film. If you're doing it in that reverse, you haven't got that suspense. You haven't got the big CGI. You haven't got, let's say it's on TV. You haven't got the adverts to break it up. How do you find the flip reverse of going from a film to a book? Because that's not that normal to go through that process. It's not really. Um, well, I, well, I can tell you how I found it. When I, I wrote scripts and I turned the same idea into a book for the, the appeal started off I, I was trying to develop it as a script but when I started writing it as a book I realized that in a book you need a lot more story you need more subplots more characters just more story to to fill out that emotional world you're creating for the reader and it's a typical complaint when someone's made a film of your favorite book they didn't put the good bits in. They left out that bit. Those characters were gone. You don't need as much story on the screen. You need more in a book. So depending on which way you're going, you're either taking story away to focus on the main story or you're adding more story in to enhance the main story that's already there. So, yeah, they're two different animals, very much so.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about the Fairway Players Group, who it focuses on. And let's go back a little bit further to your kind of input into this, because you, age 14, were in Nolfold. You were in your own version of this, I suppose, amateur dramatics group, local drama group, whatever you want to call it. Let's talk about why you got into that and your sense of belonging to that group. Well, I joined the Raglan Players when I was a long time ago. I was 14 and I was oh yeah, I was looking to make friends, um, make friends who were outside of school, I think. And that's really what it gave me. It gave me friends of different ages, mainly people who were much older than me. And we were all friends and we worked towards a particular goal. Because when I don't know if any of your listeners um, have taken part in amateur drama, but of course, once, twice a year, sometimes three times, you put on a play. Now, that entails choosing a play, auditioning, being cast or not, being given a a backstage role, maybe, if you're not cast, rehearsing over many weeks and months, and gradually working towards the deadline of that performance. And it's a drop deadline. You um, you have to to be ready for that particular day, has to be ready on the night. And because you go through all sorts of emotions in the process of bringing this play, and that's before you think of what emotions the play itself may well be dealing with on stage and you go through all of this with your friends at the end you put on that performance for an audience and that audience will be with you be watching you be on your side rooting for your character or not and then they'll applaud at the end and you'll get 
that rush of the performance, it is absolute um, a magical experience to put on a play with a group of people. And that is theatre. That's real theatre. A real theatre isn't the West End paying £200 a ticket to watch professional performers do their great thing. But real theatre is real people getting up in front of their friends and entertaining them. And belonging to an amateur drama group has really made my life. Uh, it's, and the appeal and the Christmas appeal now are tributes to that, tributes to people working together towards that amazing artistic creative goal at the end of it. And I've made lifelong friends at the Raglan Players and um, I've met my partner there. Uh, so that's changed my life as well. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't recommend it more if anyone's looking to meet people and um, you know, make friends with others from different walks of life, different ages, different um, outlooks, that they all come together for that one goal. And although in your book, obviously, you've dramatised that a little bit and there's characters that clash, when it is an amateur group and, you know, OK, you might have one or two people who think they're West End stars who are 14 years old at school and they're seeing as, you know, the equivalent of me doing hospital radio back in the day. Uh, did you get that many divas always a case of, like you said, it's just for the local community, it's feel good. And obviously, though people are professional, take themselves seriously. They're not taking themselves too seriously because they know it isn't a West End show. Um, do you know you get both people? I'm, I've um, belonged to drama groups for many years, and you know had been part of the local drama community and the wider drama community actually, because there's you know drama groups know each other. We go and see our, each other's different shows, and there are people who just do it for fun, pure fun, and they're not bothered if they're not good at it. They're not not worried. That it doesn't worry them. Other people do worry. They do want to put on a good performance and have you know, something worthwhile to show other people. And, you know, I think there's merit in both of those. I think both are good. Both are good things. There's nothing wrong with being passionate, wanting to be the best you can possibly be and wanting everybody else to be the best they can possibly be. Nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with just wanting a laugh. It's where those two come together that you have to find a compromise. And that is quite a, a bone of contention in this particular book where uh, some characters are, are taking the pantomime way too seriously according to other characters I mean Sarah Jane wants this to be the best panto ever she wants it to echo the West End performance of this play when it was first put on in 1978 and then there are characters who just want to do what normally happens they just get together at the uh, end of the year put on a, an under-rehearsed show that kids will love and adults will find funny. So there's the two clashing there. But personally, no, I think both are great. Both of those approaches are fine. Let's find a happy medium. So for those who haven't read The Appeal, like me, and don't worry, I've got mine on order, uh, there's a big clash between Celia and then Sarah Jane, who you mentioned. Where does that stem from? That stems from competition and jealousy. We have rivalry and there's a lot of things going on. I think both want to be in charge. It's, a, it's quite a basic human desire, I think, for some people who are leaders. They want to be in charge and they're not, if people are leaders, they're not good always at taking um, leadership from other people, uh, for better or worse. And um, one thing I've learned in life is that you can be a leader personality without being a very good leader. Like you can aspire to be at the top without having the skills that it takes to be a good leader. And indeed, you, the opposite can be true. You can be a non-leader personality with all of those skills. And the life lesson for both of those is that those leaders have to learn to take to, to, to um, support others in leadership 
And those people who are not leadership characters have to learn to find their voice to become that leader. So I think we all have that kind of journey that we're on and uh, we have to find our place, whether it's at the top or lower down. And where are you in the pecking order, considering you've got that screenwriting experience, considering obviously, you know, you've studied English, you know the language really well. To get to this stage of releasing lots and lots of novels, you'd have had to be good at script writing and just your way of understanding and interpreting text through the years. When you've gone to your Amdrad classes yourself, how did you find being in that pecking order? I have always been a massive introvert, always. And so it would be seem weird that I was drawn towards doing amateur drama to begin with, because that's, you know, classically, that would be the extrovert who gets up in front of people and perform. And yet it does attract introverts, too, because I think inside every introvert is an extrovert who wants to get out, is a voice that wants to be heard. I think that's been me throughout my life, someone wanting to be heard. Uh, but I've been always been very, very shy. I've always struggled to find my voice, especially in a crowd of people and that that some um, includes in the amateur drama group as well it took me many many years before I could um find my voice to to say I, I would like to write a play could I write a play for the group would you look at it would you read it would you possibly put it on it's, it took me you know I, I hesitate to say 20 years to, to say those words yeah so that's been a learning curve for me to find my voice but did you find that in school, because we're thinking at 14 years old when you started doing this, in school you were very introverted. However, when you went to your Amdrad society, because you were around like-minded people, it actually made you more extroverted. So whilst in school you were still going back introverted, that was your escapism, your desertification, that when you had those nights of rehearsals, when you were on stage, you came into your own because you didn't necessarily felt as judged as you might have done at school. You know, I think it was... Amateur drama was a safe space to explore being an introvert. And it's safe because when you've got a script and you've got a director directing you, everything is quite safe. You've got the words that you're going to say. Everybody else has their words to say and when they're going to say them. You have your, your movements, your actions on the stage. Now, that's not quite like real life. Other people don't behave in that set way. They can shout over you. They can put you down. They can um, do all sorts of things to stop you using your voice so on stage you have you'll be listened to because you're on a stage and and nobody will interrupt you because the script has to be stuck to for me it was a safe space to be heard and to be an extrovert when in my life I wasn't able to be heard quite so much mm -hmm. that's really interesting that's really interesting so the next thing that I'm fascinated by is the Christmas newsletter and it's where you start your book and it's very symbolic of a certain type of person that sends out an email once a year to say, hey, look what I've all been up to and this is what my family have been doing. So with that in mind, can you think, if you were going to do now, Janice, your newsletter for this year, 2023, what would be the three things you'd want to include in it? I would include my... Uh, this is very telling. I'll include my novel that was launched in January, The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels. I would talk about my travel that I've done this year. I've been to America. I've been to Indonesia. And I would talk about the second book I had out this year, The Christmas Appeal. And that says it all about the Christmas round robin. We concentrate on the good things, on the, the good things that have happened to us in the year. And on one level, it makes perfect sense to just write about the good stuff. And to make anything that isn't quite so good sound a lot better than it is. It's perfect human nature. Uh, but of course, it, it's quite funny uh, as um, 
as an observer to observe everybody's round Christmas round robin, how they present what their family have been up to over the years. Because when you're when children are young, when your family is young, and there's a kind of natural progression to life. They they go up the school ladder, they achieve exams, they do lots of sporting events, then they go to college and they achieve their degree, or they get, they get their first job. Now, as soon as those children arrive in their 20s, life tends to happen. You know, jobs aren't got, careers don't take off, relationships end. And suddenly this this Christmas letter is populated by events that are not quite so good. They're a bit uncomfortable or they're sad or then, you know, they're not what you want to say. Celia, for example, in the Christmas appeal is quite determined that whatever her family does, that Christmas letter is going to be very upbeat and positive. And she'll put a positive spin on absolutely anything. I think that's not a bad characteristic to have. Um, other characters soon point out what she really means when she... Uh, when she says that but I think it, it's human nature it's not a bad thing that to always look on the bright side but like you said that, that was your positive side releasing the books doing the travels how about the other side what hasn't gone so well for you this year what hasn't gone well this year do you know this year's been a pretty good year I have to say no this year's been pretty good I've enjoyed it Oh, that's okay. I feel like you you almost feel guilty for having a good year. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I do actually. How I'm dare you trying be to happy. think. Yeah. Do you know that yeah. You think, well, it must have been something that went wrong. I mean, touch wood, I'm touching wood massively here because <laughs> the year isn't over. We've still got a little while to go. But yeah, so far twenty twenty three will go down as a a good year for me. Amazing, amazing. Last question for you, Janice. I love a pantomime when I go to about four a year. You set it in a pantomime. You had all the elements of the pantomime. It's set with Jack and the Beanstalk. So you have the beanstalk. You've got all the camaraderie around. You've got the slapstick jokes. For me, going to a pantomime is that chance, especially as a kid, going to the theatre for the first time. And like you said, with the West End being so expensive, or going, I've got access to it. It's accessible in my local town to go and see a pantomime with a big celebrity normally as well, because you, know, you get one big celebrity. What does a pantomime mean to you? To me, pantomime means the actors um, and the audience are all part of the show. Like you said, when you go to a pantomime, especially if you're a kid, you can shout out. You can be part of the action. A lot of pantos will have get kids on stage, give them sweets, make them part of the action. And yeah, the, the audience take part as well. And the adults all know what's happening. Even the kids will know the story already. So you kind of you're free from the need to follow the story because you know what the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. You tend to know, you know, Cinderella, you know Puss in Boots. It's, um, it's a wonderful, familiar world. It's, it's like a family when you go to see a pantomime. You're all one, you're all chorus. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sin together, and um, it's a wonderful collective experience. And that's what, that's what I love about Panto too. The Christmas Appeal by Janice Haller is out to buy now. And if you love a good read, then join the Security and Skip Book Club, where there are interviews in the library of authors, including Heather Morris, Amanda Prowse, Jane Fallon, Adele Fox, Nicola Gill, Tim Weaver, B.A. Paris, and many, many more. You've been listening or watching to Security and Skip. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe, click that five-star button, and leave a review. And let's keep spreading the word. It's okay to not be okay, and especially when it comes to reading a book, so that you can deserve a fight and have a bit of escapism that we all need. On social media, at Johnny Seafoot 92 on TikTok, at Johnny Seifert on Twitter and at Johnny Seifert at Screen Skill Podcast on Instagram is where you can find me where I put previous episodes all out with loads of teasers so that we can keep spreading the word it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert. Thanks for so much for watching or listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>